You're listening to the Choose to Be podcast with host Alana Gordon and Amy Wolsey. As you join us each week, we will provide you with tools, resources, and knowledge to help you navigate your healing journey. Choose recovery, choose healing, choose you. Welcome to the Choose to Be podcast. Thank you everyone for joining the conversation today. We are excited to have one of our amazing coaches, Hallie Roderick, on today. Hallie is coming to talk to us specifically about recovering from an affair and dealing with betrayal trauma in that respect where pornography isn't involved in the situation. And I think we have a lot of listeners who can relate to that where the addiction to pornography isn't so much a piece of the betrayal. And so I think hearing Hallie's story and how she approached this particular situation in her life can be relatable. So enjoy the conversation today with Hallie. Hallie, we are so glad that you're with us today. And Hallie, you and I have known each other since we were both in the throes of it. And there are not many people that I still rub shoulders with as regularly as you. Yeah, we both sat with each other in some of our darkest days. And your story is a little bit unique compared to a lot of the women that we work with. And the work that you're doing to help these women who are in your situation. I just, I want to jump right in to, to you, Hallie. So really quick, you work for Choose Recovery. You're a coach. You've been coaching what for five years now? Yeah. About five years now. Five years now you've done professional trainings on trauma. You have helped and worked with so many women, but I think what is cool is you specialize in working with women who like your story have been through affairs, but there was no pornography addiction attached. You had the infidelity. You work with women where you have your classes on taming triggers, which if you're a woman listening to this, my guess is you have experienced and lived and breathed triggers. So you have your trigger class. You have your class for men on helping your wife through her triggers, work with teens, and you have a teen class trying to think what else you do. You have so many things going on. What am I missing? I run a support group for women where there's been infidelity without the pornography addiction present. I also run some new small groups that I recently started for people who are, have been working recovery in this situation where there's been infidelity and they're making progress, but we all know that it doesn't just magically, everything gets better one day that Now that this is part of your story, there's still some things that we have to work through. So for, I have a group for women and a group for men who are choosing to stay and still trying to work through everything that comes with navigating your relationship going forward after this. That's right. I totally forgot about that one. And that, that piece of, okay, now I'm going to stay now what? And it's such a hard, complicated road. So I love that. I love that you're holding their hand through that. Also, you don't know this, Hallie, but last night I was on the phone with a client who has gotten out of a really toxic situation. And I was asking her just some of the things that have been helpful on her journey. And she said, one of the things that was most helpful is I did a rising class with how, where I really had to take the tools that I was learning and then put them into action. She said, doing that class, and I want to say it was like a 12 week class, but doing that class. She said, took my recovery and really helped it gain momentum because she went from a place of just hearing every week, these tools. And it's now of, okay, what are your numbers? How are you checking in? What did you do this week? And, 
anyway, I just thought it was really cool. And the work that you're doing is helping so many. Thank you for sharing that. That makes me feel good because that is in these small groups that I do and some of the classes. That's my goal is to help them to start to put the things that they're learning into action and give them a little more accountability as they come each week and be able to talk specifically about situations that are coming up and how they can apply what they've been learning in real life. So thank you for sharing that. That makes me feel really good. I know. I thought it was fun to hear. Um, Okay. So let's talk about you. When you started this journey, when your world got flipped upside down, the rug got ripped out from under you and you're just starting out, where do you even begin? Because I know we have a lot of listeners we have listeners in all stages, but we have women who are in the beginning throes of it. And you're so disoriented. There's so much pain. There's so much confusion. Where do you even begin in your healing process? What was that like for you? Yeah, that word disorient is what I was, has been coming to me as I've been thinking about recording this podcast with you is it is so disorienting because I'm surprised how many of my clients are caught totally off guard by the discovering of the infidelity. And it's not always the case. Sometimes there's been a lot of obvious red flags or turmoil in the relationship leading up to it. I'm surprised how many are totally caught off guard and actually thought things were really good in their relationship, or maybe if not really good, not bad. And so it's not uncommon for the clients that I see to have that be part of their story where it was hit them out of the blue and was a total shock, which was the case in my situation. And so it really is disorienting is a really good word and a lot of confusion and maybe even some denial of this can't be what it looks like it is this. Mm-hmm. There's no way that's part of my story. And nobody ever really wants this to be part of their story or thinks it's going to be part of their story. So when the discovery happens or however that comes out for a person, it really is requires them to get clear on their reality. And that was a process for me, at least it wasn't, it was so just unthinkable in my world that I, it took me a while to get to this place where I could accept that, okay, this is actually what happened. And this is part of my story now. And when that happened, all of a sudden your ability to trust is gone. And I think the most painful part of that loss of trust was the trust in the ability to trust myself as I felt like I must have been so dumb to have missed red flags or to have missed not seeing things for what they were. And so not only trust in your partner, but trust in yourself. And even for me, and maybe this isn't everyone's story, but for me, a loss of trust in God, because how could he let this happen? And I had checked all the boxes. I had done all the things that I was supposed to do. And yet this still was unraveling in my story. And there was a huge loss of trust in every area of my life. And then even other, like all of a sudden other women were an enemy or a threat to me. So I didn't trust anybody else. And so that huge shattering of trust is a big piece, at least for me in the early stages and learning to trust myself again was where I had to start with that. And I started little, like I had to trust that I was going to show up for me, maybe in ways that I hadn't before and started to use my voice a little bit. I, I would 
that wasn't uncommon for me to just be really passive before. There's like a pre-Hallie and a post-Hallie. And the me before was pretty passive and didn't really like confrontation. And so if we would be even having a discussion about where we're going to go for dinner, I just was, I don't care, wherever, even if I really wanted chips and salsa or pizza or whatever, I just, I would just not say anything. And so I started there by saying, I don't know, what do I want? What do I want? And I would start trusting myself to use my voice. I would, I figured out that I couldn't wait for anybody else to do my own spiritual work for me. I couldn't wait for anybody to get my rear out of bed. And so sometimes it was just trusting myself to get out of bed and get in the shower that day. And sometimes it was, I'm going to trust myself to at least see if God is still there because I feel like he doesn't see me right now. And I had to trust myself to just start putting in that work. So I think a long answer to your question was, it starts with acceptance of the reality of what's actually happening and starting to trust yourself again. I love that you start with the acceptance because denial is a real piece of that. And it's not denial. I think sometimes denial gets a really bad name of at least, okay, for me, when times where I've been in denial, I shame myself of wake up. Like you shouldn't be in denial. You need to see things, but denial shows up as a self-protectant of, whoa, that's too much. I don't think I'm ready to handle that. And so taking the shame away from denial, but I remember when everything came out in my story, I thought things like, I don't want this to be my reality. I don't, this isn't the story I chose. This isn't the path. And being so angry that now this was forced upon me when I didn't choose it. So coming to that acceptance, that one took me a while. I, it was really important to work on that, but yeah, that one took me a while. Yeah. A hundred percent agree with everything you just said. I think I had always had this vision of my life growing up of what it was going to be like. And that was not part of it. Mm. I envisioned we would have this like fairy tale wedding and everything and marriage and everything would be just happy and no issues. I honestly, I seriously remember having the thought growing up, if I can just get married, then all my problems will go away. Then I won't have all these hard challenges anymore. I love, I can relate to that. I had this vision in my mind that I would get married and he would become like my partner. And I literally pictured that we each were standing side by side and we have swords and we're going to go fight all the hard things in the world because I knew life was hard, but we were side by side. And now I had this partner who was going to go through and take on all these challenges and battles. And then when all of this happened, I had this image in my mind of, he took that knife and he put it in my back and he was supposed to be my partner. He was supposed to be the person that I went and fought the battles with, and now he attacked me. The battle was towards Mm -hmm. me. And I summed up the level of just complete trust that I had for him and that utter shock of how could you do this to me? We were side by side with our weapons. You weren't supposed to turn that on me. Yeah. Really good analogy. And even the unhealthy thought of, oh, he's going to complete me. Once I get married, then I'll be complete. And man, I had to unwire some of that stuff and rewire that to believe or to understand the idea of that I was my own individual. And as we both can show up as a whole individual in our relationship, we can create a beautiful interdependent relationship. But the idea that he was going to complete me was a totally unhealthy thought pattern that I wasn't even aware of at that time. I love that you brought that up because that's what 
media gives us. That's what society gives us. This idea of two incompletes together make a complete. No, two incompletes together make two incompletes. (laughs) That usually have a whole heck of a lot of problems. Yeah. Yeah. One other thought that keeps going through my head and I don't know how it's going to come out. So I'm just going to, we'll just play with this. But what I see is in my clients who had greater trust, greater, I don't have to worry about anything. He's my knight in shining armor. We have this forever eternal marriage. Everything's going to be good. Like the more that they had that, the harder they fell the more, because they had all of these expectations of what it should be and will be. And when those expectations aren't met, and I'll just say for myself, I was really naive about a lot of things. And so even that naivety, that those cultural messages that I had received, all of those things, there was a lot harder fall than somebody who's going through this, where they've been around a lot of infidelity, or they've been around a lot of trauma or pain And so they go through life going, okay, this could happen and expect this. Those who were a little more sheltered tend to have an even greater fall, a greater shock, a greater, it's all painful, but I just see like their recovery being almost harder because of that piece. So I'm curious your two thoughts on that. No, I would agree that there is some cultural or family of origin messages that are received like in my family of origin, there's a little bit of patriarchy and a lot of things that were have been passed on through the generations of kind of the man goes out and brings home the bacon and the wife stays home and takes care of the home and kids and they the husband takes care of the wife and that's just the way it is. And not a lot of, I don't know, just so yeah, a lot of cultural and family of origin messages that can be picked up along the way that in a sense, that's one of the things that I'm grateful for in this journey is that I've been able to step outside of that and see things in a different light and realize that maybe some of the messages that I have picked up along the way don't necessarily serve me all that well and have made me stronger as I've learned to see those things in a different way. It's funny because my brain goes, I totally agree with all that, Hallie, and my brain goes, am I telling women (laughs) that you just need to be jaded and you just need to be prepared to be cheated on. And I just want to be clear of no, expect fidelity, have boundaries, find healthy people to be in relationships. All of those things are true. And I just, I see some of these young girls and some of the messages that they're receiving and the things that they just don't know yet. And that can just be really painful if this does become part of their story. And I hope it doesn't. I don't wish this upon anybody. That's why you were talking about the young girls. That's why I love my teen class that I do, because I want them to get this idea of being independent before they jump into a relationship in the future. And if we can, if, if I look back, if I had been more independent, not that I could, I'm not saying I could have changed the situation or anything, but the way I responded to it and the boundaries that I had and the type of relationship that we had leading up to everything would have been different if I knew what I know now. And so that's why I love working with the teens because I want them to get a healthy idea of their own identity and how they can show up in life as confident and learning to use their voice and being an individual before they jump into a relationship, an independent individual. I love that so much. And I want that for every young woman and Mm -hmm. teenage girl. I just love that. Okay. Let me ask you, because 
still with your husband. You two have done a ton of work. You talked a lot about the trust and how the trust was completely shattered. And I know in those beginning stages, a big question that went through my mind all the time. And I hear a lot of women say of like, how will I ever trust again? And even men will say like, how can she trust me again? And so for you, what did that process look like of rebuilding the trust? It's messy. <laughs> Just tell you that it's hard, but I think I started my therapist, right? One of the first times I met with my therapist, he told me watch his words or watch his actions, not his words. And I have hung on to that. Like anybody can say whatever they want, but are their actions aligning up with the words that they're telling you? I had a client the other day, tell me that if you were to watch this and we were watching a video and we turn the sound off and all we can watch is video, we can't hear any words. What is the video telling us? And that right there, that that's what we should be watching for. Not the dialogue that's happening. And my brain really focuses on words. So I have to work to do that. Yeah. I like that. I like the image of watching it without audio. That makes, because you think about how do I, how do both people carry themselves? Am I standing there as an insecure individual with my shoulders hunched and afraid to use my voice? Yeah. That paints, paints a really good visual, but that's kind of where I started is like watching his actions, not so much his words. And also paying attention to what my body was telling me because I was so disconnected from that. That was so far out of my, I never even, I never even thought about the mind body connection growing up. And so paying attention to what my body was telling me when something was off and learning to trust that if something was off and then be being able to use my voice, if something was off and speak up. And you did, you said, we've done a lot of work. We have done so much work and it's not been an easy thing for either of us because he also has his own triggers of based on the things that we experienced. And so he has had to work on creating his own boundaries and learning to manage with the stuff that comes up for him as far as triggers and shame and all of that. And so it has, it's a continual process. And I think that it does require both of you to be willing to put in some effort. Sometimes I work with clients and their spouse is not really trying to create trust and they so badly want to trust them. And that's that part of that acceptance of the reality. If their spouse is not creating safety and working to rebuild trust and trying to have some empathy and validate what they're going through, our mind goes to this place of, I want to trust so badly. And yet there's something that's keeping me from doing that. And so I think it does require that both parties are engaged in the work and being able to do that work and see what's happening for the other person. That you just described as such a battle when you so desperately want to trust and your body is literally pushing back and saying, you're not safe, you're not safe, you're not mm -hmm. safe. And it could be that you are not actively safe, or it could be you have still so much trauma to work through that your brain is not ready to settle down. But either way, having both of those, having this internal battle can make you feel crazy. You're going through something really normal and part of the process, but it, yeah, so disorienting, even just that piece. Yeah. And I think that another thing that one of my therapists early on told me was that I needed to do, I needed to get out of my head and into my body. And I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know how to do that. 
But that process of learning what mindfulness looks like and learning to, to pay attention to what was happening in my body and associating the way the thoughts were affecting what was going on in my body and what he was saying or not saying or doing and how that was like what signals my body were telling me was a huge piece. And at first I discounted that the things that my therapist was trying to get me to do, because I felt so um, on overdrive all the time. Like my body literally felt like it was just functioning on overdrive. And my brain especially was just nonstop. And I was like, you want me to sit and be mindful. And I can't even get my mind to be quiet for one minute. How do you want me to do that? And it took me a while and her continuing to encourage me to jump into that work. And then as soon as I did, I was like, oh, I see why she wanted me to do this. I understand a little bit now. And I'm still learning about that. But that has been a huge piece for me is to get in tune with what my body is telling me, because sometimes my emotional brain is taking over any logical thought. But if I can separate the thoughts and get into what my body's telling me, that's been huge for me too. That is so good. And I love when you use the word overdrive trauma is if you're in your car and you put your foot on the gas pedal and you put your foot on the gas pedal, you accelerate, you, you move, you go, but trauma comes and it, it slams on the brake. So you got the breakdown, the emergency brake going, but the gas pedal still is like the floor to the metal floor mm-hmm. to the metal metal to the floor foot to the pedal. I don't know this saying pedal, pedal to the metal. <laughs> This I do this all the time. My husband teases me because I like totally butcher things. Anyway, but it's like you have one foot on the brake and one foot on the gas. Amy is still laughing. Knock it off. One foot on the gas and you are just revved up and you have nowhere for that energy to go. And it's just welling inside of you. I love what you're talking about because if we don't get those tools to be able to work through the trauma, all of that staying within us. There are so many consequences, physical, emotional, mental, that come from all of that wrapped up energy with nowhere to go. Yeah. And I look at it as that becomes your baseline. So that becomes the normal for your body. So it makes sense when that's our baseline and our normal, that when we get triggered by something, we can go from zero to a hundred, just like in seconds, because our body is already activated and elevated on overdrive. But as we work to get our body and our brain comfortable back down closer to calm, grounded and neutral, then when we get triggers and we get things that come at us, we're able to give ourselves that space of, oh, I'm feeling my bot, my heart is racing. I just felt that flush and let me look and see what's going on. And now I'm going to make a conscious choice of how I'm going to respond to this trigger rather than the automatic response that comes so quickly when we're in that state of overdrive. In Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Happiness, he talks about creating that distance between the stimulus and the event. And I think about that as with our window of tolerance, we, when we go through trauma, it shrinks that window of tolerance very little. Like you said, we're wrapped up really high. So it's very little that takes us out of our window of tolerance. But as we're working recovery, that is such a beautiful goal to practice extending that space between the stimulus and the response and extending it a little bit more and a little bit more. And as we're doing that, we're increasing our window of tolerance. And the other thing about that is my husband's had to do the same because he has to do the same, which is why I love working with men, helping them learn how to manage their own triggers 
and what happens to them when their wife comes to them in a triggered state. And so it's not just our work, it's their work as well, being able to create that space that gives you an opportunity to have more productive conflict resolution and managing of triggers rather than reactive and volatile. You mentioned a couple of times his triggers. And I remember in the beginning, my brain went, his triggers mean that he's sexually triggered by somebody. Like he sees mm-hmm. them, he's attracted, that's a trigger. But what you're talking about, and could include that too, but what I hear you talking about is he's got emotional triggers and mm-hmm. addiction is emotional mismanagement. And so if he doesn't learn how to manage those emotions, if he doesn't learn to recognize what his body is telling him to recognize what his emotions are telling him, that's not part of his work. He is going to miss a key, if not one of the most important pieces of recovery. So I just want to break that down because I know my brain for a long time only registered the first part, but there's so much more. Yeah. And I think a big thing that guys get triggered with too, is shame that when they see us in pain it triggers that, well, she's in pain because I'm a loser or because I did this to her. And so it can pull them into that place of I'm such a loser and shame and whatever their shame talk sounds like, but, or this is never going to get any better, you know? So I think, yeah, I'm glad that you differentiated those two words of the, or definitions of triggers, or at least areas that guys can get triggered in because Yeah. The farther along in recovery you get, I think we're talking more about the emotional triggers that they get activated with. Yeah. Shame. Shame is so at the root of so much of this and shame blocks any form of empathy. So marriage repair without them doing their shame work. Yeah. That's hard. Okay. So with you, I know that you and I went to groups together, but where your story was a little different, talk about, or tell me a little bit about just what you needed or were missing where you didn't have addiction, you didn't have pornography, you had the infidelity. And so I know that there was a part of you that felt a little bit on the outside. So tell me about that. Yeah, I remember. So first of all, when my therapist recommended that I get into a support group, I was terrified because I didn't want anybody to know my story. I didn't want anybody to know that this was actually what was happening And at the same time, I felt so isolated and so alone. And so I knew that I needed to do that. But jumping onto my first, it was a Zoom worth group, was terrifying. And I remember by the time that I left that first meeting, I had such this huge sense of relief and just, oh my gosh, these are my ladies. Where have they been? And I felt such a huge relief of just being able to show up and be authentic because I felt like in the rest of my world, I was having to put on this fake front and pretend that everything was fine when inside I was dying. And so it was such a huge relief to jump into that first support group. And at the same time, like you said, I almost, it made me question more because most of the women in that group, I think at that time I was the only one where there was not the addiction present. And I started to go, I'm probably missing that too because I have missed everything else. So I'm probably missing that too. And so it made me question even more, which maybe it was okay because I was able to, at that point, I was still in my unhealthy policing mode. And so I dug into everything to try and figure out if I was missing that too. And after a time I was like, no, I'm, that's not there. That's not, that's not my story. And so I felt like I got a ton of great support. Obviously it was 
so much of what I needed. And at the same time, I didn't fully relate to everything that, that the other ladies in the group were going through. And a few years ago, when you came to me and asked me if I wanted to help support you in the worth group at Life Changing Services, I was like, yes, and we need a group for these ladies. And so that is where the birth of that support group in at Life Changing Services came from is for women where there is not the addiction, but there's still infidelity and the betrayal trauma and the things that we experience are very similar, but there's just that piece that isn't the same in the story. And that's where my question goes is, do you feel like the recovery looks different? Does it look the same? If we're talking like a one-time infidelity or multiple infidelities, or if we have a pornography addiction where they've been looking at pornography their whole life and hiding that in secrecy and cheating. When it comes to recovery with these different components, does that piece look different? I think if you're talking about, man, that's such a hard question because I'm sitting here, my mind is going to all the different stories of the, that I've heard. And every story is so unique and so different. And it, I think so much of it depends on, like we talked about earlier, the stories or the messages that they have picked up along the way. And also how much self-worth did they already feel about themselves? Did they already have a high level of self-worth and belief and confidence in themselves or were, were they a little more insecure? And so I think it's a hard question to answer as a blanket statement, but I also think that there's so much of it that is similar, like learning to trust ourselves, learning what healthy boundaries look like, because that was a term nobody ever taught me about either. And I'd heard it, but it was foreign to me. And so learning what that looked like, I think is similar because I work with a lot of clients where it's pornography addiction and there isn't the infidelity or both. There's both present there. And the things that they are experiencing are very similar. So does the recovery for the woman look different in all of the different categories, maybe a little bit. I think the recovery on the man side is definitely looks different in those different situations and the relational recovery is different. And I think there's just a lot of similarities when it comes to healing on the wife's, the woman's side or the betrayed partner. It doesn't necessarily have to be, I work with men who have had a a wife that has where there's been infidelity. And so it's not, I shouldn't just say that as the wife, but for the betrayed partner, I think the work is similar. And then we have to individualize it based on their experiences up to that point in their life and where they're at. I just, yeah, I agree with all of that. And that I think is why Amy and I, with this podcast have really just focused on the betrayal piece of it and try not to box us into so much of a niche that we can't help women who, cause like every story is so unique and there's different components and it's really easy to say, oh, they have my story, but yes, we have different family of origins, different cultures, different parents, that's family of origin, but different parents who raised us. We have different self-esteems. We have different relational dynamics. We have different spouses where our spouses have their own family of origin stuff. Like there's so many pieces that make it so much more complicated, but when it comes to the woman or man and they're healing their betrayal trauma, now men's betrayal trauma does look a little bit different there are some different components, but generally speaking, that piece of it, the betrayal trauma, it, it doesn't matter if we're talking about affair 
or the sexual addiction. And tell me if you agree with this. And I think a lot of it is because we are still talking about an attachment injury and there's still that deep lying, hiding manipulation. And it's those things that are so painful. It's the attachment injury and the lying and the secrecy and that shattering of the trust Mm -hmm. that really is one of the most painful pieces about this. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And as I'm sitting here thinking about the different women that I work with, some women, this comes out early in their relationship. And some women have been dealing with kind of chronic unhealthy behaviors for 30 years or 40 years. And so does that look different? Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) And so it's hard to say what that it's the same for everyone because everybody's story is so different, but I think that's where having a lot of tools in your tool bag and then working with somebody, whether it's a coach or a therapist that is specifically trained in betrayal trauma that can help you individualize the work and dig into exactly what's coming up for you. It's so valuable. Totally. And even like when reading a book or listening to this podcast or going to group, you start to learn to go, okay, that works for me. That fits with what I'm going through and other things where you just have to let it go. That's not my story. That's not where I'm at in my recovery. Okay. That may be helpful for her, but that's not helpful for me. And learning how to do that and how to filter that is such a valuable piece of your own recovery. Yeah. And it's a good piece of that building trust with yourself. I love that because it's okay. Just because it's working for her doesn't mean that I have to do exactly what she's doing or he's doing or what this therapist said, but I get to know instinctually what is right for me as I learn to heal. And as I, hopefully a lot, most of us can reconnect with God and rebuild that trust with God too, which we could do a whole podcast on that. But as I, I always tell women that only you and God know what's best for you. And you take everything that I say, or your therapist says, or your mom or your sister, or your best friend, and you take it to God and you and God get to decide what the right thing for you to do is. And that, so learning all of those tools and then being able to put them into play, I think is a part of that process of rebuilding trust with yourself as well. I love that. Now I know we're getting to about time, but when we started, we talked about how this was a part of your story and didn't want it to be part of your story or shock or some denial around it being part of your story. You came through this journey of learning to accept it and to embrace it. Any advice to women who are in the process of maybe who are through those initial stages, but are in this part where they're really trying to get to that post-traumatic growth. They're really trying to write their new story. Any pieces of advice or wisdom you would give them just on this journey? Yeah, that's such a good question. And a lot of things come to my mind. Where do I even start? I think one of the biggest things that I would tell them is to start to find things that bring them joy and make those things a priority. And that might be a new hobby that you want to pick up, or that might be reaching out and making new friends. That might be making time to give yourself an hour in the morning to just be still and connect with your body and with God, whatever that is, but to start with one small thing that brings you joy and start putting that as a priority in your life. And as you do that, it'll just start to create momentum into you filling your life more with things that 
bring you joy. And my mind also goes to the relational piece of this because I know early on, I remember thinking, this is never going to work. <laughs> like we are, we're never going to be able to work through this. I don't know how we're ever going to survive this. And so there's that relational piece too of post-traumatic growth. And like I said before, we've done a lot of work and continue to do a lot of work. And is our relationship perfect? Not even close. Do we, does this still come up and bump painful parts of our relationship? Yep. But the things that we've learned and the different level of intimacy that we're able to have as far as emotional intimacy goes and being able to see each other in our best and worst times and still show up for each other has created a different relationship that we never had before. Before I look back, before all of everything happened and yeah, we got along, we like hardly ever fought. It appeared to be everything was good, but it was pretty surface level. It was not a very deep relationship. And so I can't even believe I say this sometimes, but I would never, ever want to go through what we would been through ever again, but I would never give it up because of the personal growth that I've had, the confidence that I've gained. It was totally ripped out from underneath me at the beginning. It was shattered. And as I've rebuilt that confidence and vision of who I am, I actually love myself now more than I did before. And I love who we are as a couple because we do have hard things that come up, but we work through them in a different way. And the depth of our relationship is more than it ever was before. So I want to give hope that post-traumatic growth, both individually and relationally, can be better than you might even think in the beginning. Because I remember just thinking this was it. This was the end of it. And it hasn't been easy. And it still isn't easy all the time. But it's worth it. I just, that was a beautiful way to wrap that up. And I love the hope. And it takes, you didn't sugarcoat, right? here's your happily ever after. Here's your castle. Do the work. You just get the castle. Like it's still hard, still growth. Like you gave the real, but there is hope in that. And I love just how you finished that. It's worth it. So Hallie, thank you for coming and sharing of yourself. I will totally shamelessly plug you. If you want to be in Hallie's group for women who have affairs only that is through the worth group healingwithworth.org, And she has tons of classes and courses through her Hallie Roderick coaching and choose recovery. So look Hallie up. She is an amazing, I don't know, Hallie, are you, are you seeing open to seeing new clients right now? Yeah. Yep. Awesome. And I've been doing couples work too. Sometimes people have a hard time finding a therapist that is local to them that maybe shares their same value system and has the understanding of betrayal trauma. And so that's one of the beauties of working with the coach is that you can work with them wherever you're at. And so if that's a piece that you're wanting to, I've been doing more training in that area. So I love it. Holly, thank you for coming. Your vulnerability, just hanging with us as part of our conversation today. Now, for those of you who are like, why the heck is Amy so quiet today? Amy has been in the car and the times where she tried to jump in, there's a massive delay. So she has just stayed quiet. So Amy, now that you're back home after all that craziness this morning, anything you want to add to wrap up? Oh my gosh. I actually just, I was feeling like a lot of anxiety because I'm like, I want to be a part of this conversation. There's, she's saying so many amazing things. And then I couldn't. And so I just hit pause and I just sat back and I'm driving in this traffic. And I just listened to both of you, just like everyone else is going to be listening to this when it goes live, like a podcast. And 
I was edified. I loved everything that you were saying. And it was just really cool to be on that side of it. Once I dropped the anxiety of not being able to be a part of it, I was like, okay, I'm just going to absorb it and listen and feed off of it. And I was truly fed. So thank you so much, Hallie, for joining the conversation today. I benefited from listening. I love <laughs> it. for having me on. Thank you all. Thank you for being with us on the conversation. And we look forward to seeing you all next week. Thanks again, Hallie, for joining us today. I'm still salty that I got caught in traffic, but that's okay. If you want to work with Hallie, head over to Choose Recovery Services, and I will put the link to the couples communication webinar that Hallie and her husband also run. Lots of resources for y'all so that you can continue to choose healing, choose recovery, and choose you. Take care, everybody.